Hopefully everybody can hear me. Um, let's turn now to Psalm 119. Today we will be considering verses 145 through 152 of Psalm 119. And, and while you're turning there, I wanted to, to briefly touch on something that the psalmist gave us in verse 139 where he says, My zeal wears me out, for my enemies ignore your words. Um, we need to be careful when we become zealous for God's law, when we become zealous for God's word, that we are zealous for God, for, for God's glory and not for our own comfort in that. Oftentimes when people violate God's law and it directly affects us, we do get very zealous, but it's because it's directly affected me. And I am zealous for my own comfort. I am zealous for my own anger. But when the psalmist says there that he, his zeal wears him out for the enemies ignore your words, he is zealous not because it has adversely affected him, which we have seen throughout the psalm, but he is zealous because God's glory has been attacked. God's sovereignty has been attacked. And so when we are zealous for God's glory, when we are zealous for God's Lord, law, we need to make sure that we are zealous for the right reasons and that we are zealous for his glory rather than our own. As the psalmist continues in his psalm, we pick up in verse 145 of Psalm 119. I call with all my heart, answer me, O Lord, and I will obey your decrees. I call out to you, save me, and I will keep your statutes. I rise before the dawn and cry for help. I have put my hope in your word. My eyes stay open through the watches of the night that I may meditate on your promises. Hear my voice in accordance with your love. Preserve my life, O Lord, according to your laws. Those who divide wicked schemes are near, but they are far from your law. Yet you are near, O Lord, and all your commands are true. Long ago, I learned from your statutes that you established them to last forever. Let us pray. Holy and most high God, by the power of your spirit, let me preach today the sermon that your people need to hear and speak to those here that need the joy of your glory according to that spirit. I pray this in Jesus name. Amen. I like music. Other than a small handful of types of music, I, I like most all types or genres of music. Whether it's classical, folk, bluegrass, classic rock, not so classic rock, well, we'll stop there. I could go on. If you ever stop in my study on the days where I am in there, you'll, you'll hear music coming from my stereo. I, I have playlists on my streaming service, some that are are, typed, are, are, are set apart by the type of music they are. Some of them are set apart by the themes that they have. And back when we had CDs, I had one of my playlists burned to a CD, and written on that CD was the word mellow. Now, I left that CD in the car one time when Michelle and the boys were driving around, and they listened to the CD while they were driving around. And when they came back home and I came back home later that day, I found the CD sitting on the counter. And I told Michelle, thank you for bringing me back that CD. I was wondering where I had put it. And she said, yep, I brought it back to you because I don't like it. 
Those songs are not mellow. Those songs are depressing. <laughs> and there is some truth to that. The mellow mix that I have are songs that I listen to when I'm down. They are songs that are filled sometimes with sadness and darkness. Sometimes in a redemptive way. Sometimes in a way that just leaves you contemplating the sadness and the darkness of our world. I do like the playlist because it reminds me that we live in a world that is full of that sadness and darkness. And there are times when that darkness presses in around us. It seems to be on the attack, whether it's an internal sadness and darkness or the oppression of the world around us, we begin to feel its weight. And the reason I like the playlist is because it has songs like this. It says, brother, he suffered like a tree taken down, wept as he witnessed his dreams carved out. How can a man just keep walking around with his heart full of holes? But oh, his bow is on the strings and the tune resonates in the open space to show us how emptiness sings. Glory to God. Glory to God. In the fullness of wisdom, He writes my story into His song. My life for the glory of God. And then in the last chorus, she shifts up the words just a little bit. She says, my bow is on the strings. I'm beginning to learn where to find the words to the song that emptiness sings. Glory to God. Glory to God. That is how emptiness sings. Our psalmist today is dealing once again with the darkness and the sadness that presses in around him, that draws near to him, even, those, even though those who bring it to him are far from God's law. And the emptiness sings out as he realizes and finds comfort in the fact that God is already there. God is already present as his enemies approach. And we will learn today that when the darkness and sadness of this world presses in, we are called to cry out to the God who is near. First, God is near. In the second half of our, of our, our portion of this psalm today, we see the darkness and sadness that is pressing in on the psalmist in the form of those who divide wicked, devise wicked schemes against him. Throughout the psalm, the, the, the psalmist has declared that wicked, evil, and foolish men have sought to trap him and trip him up in his pursuit of obedience. They have sought to deceive him and have brought outright persecution in the attempt to bring the psalmist to a point of compromising on the pursuit of obedience and holiness. And he says for us here that the reason they are doing this is because they are far from God's law. Far here points to more than just distance. Yes, it is true that metaphorically they are far enough from God's law that if God's law was a person, they could not hear God's law even yelling at them. But the picture goes further than that because it's the sense that is in that word is that they have intentionally placed themselves far from God's law. They have intentionally turned their back 
on what God has called them to do and to be. And this is a parallel with what we saw in verse 139, where it says that the enemies ignore the word of God. Those who seek to envelop the psalmist in their wickedness do so because they have access to God's law and yet choose to take the opposite path. Their access to God's law may be through the revelation of Scripture, or it may be through that sense of right and wrong that every human being has woven within them because they are created in the image of God. Whichever of those points of access, they have chosen to place themselves far from the righteousness to which God calls them. And these wicked men are closing in on the psalmist, And yet he finds comfort in the midst of their attack because as they are drawing near, he remembers and takes comfort in the fact of 151. Yet you are near, O Lord, and your commands are true. There's there's an action and a contrast in these two verses. The action is, is that the wicked are approaching him. The wicked are nearing him in order to attack him in the midst of his pursuit of holiness and his dedication to God's law. And while they are coming, while they are on their way, the contrast to that is that God is already there. God is already near, providing refuge and shield and speaking the comfort of his word into the ears of the psalmist. And as the darkness of this world presses in, the God is already there. We know from the testimony of Scripture that the nearness of God does not eliminate the darkness and the struggle this side of heaven, but the nearness of God offers a place of refuge and safety in the struggle with the darkness. In Psalm 119, verse 114, it says that God is the refuge and shield of the psalmist. The refuge is that castle, that place of retreat to where you can come away from the battle to find protection and rest and comfort. The shield is the shield of God that goes before you as you are called out into battle with the darkness to protect you and comfort you as God draws you into battle. God is near to the psalmist to provide refuge where the attacks cannot get to him. And God is near to the psalmist to be his shield when he is called out into the midst of battle. In theological terms, we call this the imminence of God. The sermon title today is The Imminent God. God's imminence oftentimes, imminence is oftentimes contrasted with His transcendence. God's transcendence is described in places like Isaiah 6 and Revelation 4 and 5, where the, the prophet, whether it's Isaiah or John, are overwhelmed by the glory, the holiness, the majesty, the absolute weight of God. And it is true that God is overwhelmingly glorious and majestic and holy. But at the same time, He is the God that Isaiah reveals to us in Isaiah chapter 9 as Emmanuel, God with us. And God's children should find comfort in both His transcendence and in His eminence. God is both at the same time. He is holy, majestic, and glorious, and He is God with and near His people. And our passage today focuses on the comfort that the psalmist finds in God's closeness, in His eminence. 
Notice in verse 149, the confidence in God's nearness is rooted in God's love. In Psalm 119, the psalmist says that he loves things of God, but he also says that God shows love to his people. And whenever the psalmist says that God expresses love, he uses a very specific word for love, which is the steadfast love of God that we see over and over in Psalm 136. And it's a word that's rooted in mercy and grace and covenant faithfulness to the psalmist. In other words, the psalmist here it cries out to God in accordance with his covenant faithful love. God has promised to hear. God has promised to be near his people. And so the psalmist knows that God is near because he is a God who keeps his promises. And he will do so forever, we learn in verse 152, where he says that long ago I learned from your statutes that you established them to last forever. God has promised to be near his people and God will keep that promise into eternity. And he is here and near with us today. If you look back to our scripture reading from earlier today in Deuteronomy 31, as, as Moses is commissioning the people and commissioning Joshua to take his place, Moses is not entering the promised land because he was zealous for his own glory in Numbers 20 and got angry with the people and beat the rock instead of speaking to it, saying, you have made me angry enough that I wish I could beat you like I'm beating this rock. And so he is not entering the promised land. And he's commissioning, commissioning Joshua to do that. And he tells Joshua and the people twice, God will never leave you nor forsake you. And then in Joshua 1, as God comes to Joshua to commission him himself, he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. God is a promise-keeping God. And because these words are written down and passed on to us as inspired Scripture, that promise stands for you and I as well. Hear God saying to you, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Let that ring in your ears for just a moment. I will never leave you nor forsake you. You and I face the pressing in of the darkness of the world through our lives. Loss, betrayal, illness, disease, aging, natural disasters, and persecution draw near to each and every one of us. The Word of God reveals to us that God is near. You may not feel the nearness of God, but the eternal reliability of God's Word teaches us that the child of God is never left nor forsaken by God. Where does life press into you today, bringing its sadness and darkness into your heart? Find comfort in the God who is near as your refuge and strength. James 4.8 says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. It's God speaking through James to the people of God. And we see this reflected in the first half of our passage today. The second half focused on the nearness of God or God is near. The first half focuses on constant prayer to the constantly near God. 
in two sections of two verses each in these first four verses, the psalmist calls to God with a boldness and a persistence, a boldness which sometimes many of us are uncomfortable with. Verses 145 and 146 both begin with this this call. I call out to you. This word that means I call out to you. He's calling out to God. He's calling out to the God that is near. And this is not merely a greeting, you know, like I call out hello to the person that I see across the street. This is a call to action. The psalmist is calling God to action and he's asking for two things. The first is a cry, O Lord, answer me. And notice this is a wholehearted cry. This this isn't just lip service to God. This isn't just a a one and done prayer where where the psalmist says, okay, God, I need you to hear me. This is a wholehearted prayer with every ounce of his being. The Puritans in their instruction on prayer say to pray until you pray. And what they mean there is many of us often go to prayer as a duty, as a thing, an item to be checked off of a to-do list. And that may be a great place to start, but the psalmists or the Puritans say to stay in prayer until your whole heart, your whole being is engaged. That may take one minute, may take five minutes, may take hours, but pray until you pray. Give that wholehearted prayer to God and that wholehearted prayer from the psalmist is first, answer me. This is not a demand. This is not saying, God, I'm here, so I deserve an answer from you. This is the psalmist saying, God, you have promised to answer when I pray. pray. Hear and answer the prayer that I am bringing to you. God says, I am near and I hear. And the psalmist says, let me experience your nearness, your refuge, your shield. God says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. And the psalmist says, God, I have drawn near. Let me know that you are here also. The second half of his prayer is a cry for rescue. Verse 146, I call out to you, save me. Rescue me from this danger, this persecution, this darkness, this oppression that I am in. Hear and answer me for, and save me for you have promised to do that very thing. And he says, answer and save me so that I may obey and keep your statutes and decrees. It's not bargaining with God here. He's just coming to God with the realization that each of us know. The psalmist says that he is going to obey God no matter what. But it's also easier to obey God when life's easier. When oppression is taken away from us, when we are rescued from the danger that we are in. He's not saying, God, if you rescue me, I will obey you. He's saying, God, rescue me so that I may obey you more easily. So that the hardship around me will not try to distract me from obedience to you. And while verses 145 and 146 are this wholehearted plea for answering and rescuing, Verse 147 gives us a picture of what the psalmist's prayer life looks like. First, it's intense and it's an intense and desperate plea to God. He says, I rise before the dawn and cry for help. That word cry in verse 147 takes the word call from 145 and 146 and ramps it up. 
It ramps up the desperation. It ramps up the intensity of the psalmist's prayer. In the middle of deep anger or deep despair, I typically try to calm down before I go to God in prayer. But the psalmist says, no, in the midst of deep anger, in the midst of deep despair, he cries out to God with that intensity of desperation that long-term suffering brings. The psalmist says, take your deepest feelings to God and cry out to Him to help you with those feelings and the events in life that are driving the feelings. Next, his prayer is a meditative prayer. It's a prayer that knows and prays Scripture. The second half of verse 148, he says, I may meditate on your promises. Know Scripture. Pray Scripture. Learn Scripture so that you can then pray the promises in the moment. As you find a promise like we have here that God is near or that God will never leave you or forsake you, write that promise down on a card and carry it with you. And throughout the day, pray, Lord, Remind me that you are near. Remind me that you never leave me nor forsake me. Third, it's a hopeful prayer. He says, I put my hope in you. He says, I rise before the dawn and cry for help. I have put my hope in your word. Now, why does he hope in God's word? It's because it's God's word and God has made promises and they are recorded for us in his word. And since God is a true and trustworthy God, his word is true and trustworthy. God's word reveals that God will never leave you nor forsake you. So you can trust that glorious truth that God will keep his promise. And fourth, it's a sacrificial prayer. Twice, whenever something's repeated in scripture, it's good to heed it. It's good to see what the psalmist is trying to say, but twice he mentions lack of sleep and prayerfulness. He says in 147, I rise before the dawn and cry for help. He says in 148, my eyes stay open through the watches of the night. Basically, in those two phrases, he says that he is praying from the time that most people normally go to bed until the time that most people's alarm clock typically goes off. Has darkness and sadness of, the, of life lived? Has that ever kept you from sleep? What do you typically do with that sleeplessness? I'll tell you what I've done. I lay there tossing and turning, getting madder and madder because if I can't sleep and if I don't get my sleep, everyone will feel my wrath in the morning. The psalmist says this persecution has kept me up. So I stayed up all night and prayed on or prayed to, meditated on and hoped in the God who is nearer to me than any of the suffering I am experiencing. God is near. God will never leave you nor forsake you. In Christ, you are secure in the arms of God. When you fear anger or when, when the fear or anger or despair keeps you up, pray. When you are desperate for rescue, forego sleep and pray. The nearness of God gives us the comfort and freedom of crying out to Him in boldness and desperation. Romans chapter 8, the, the glorious chapter that Paul writes to summarize the gospel message and the future glory that awaits the people of God. 
In Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 31, we hear these words. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also, along with Him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is He that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is interceding for us. What or who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship, persecution or famine, nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor any heights, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Think about those words that Paul uses and think about why he uses words like tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, or danger, or sword, death, life, angels, rulers, present things, future things, power, height, depth, anything else in all creation. Why do you think Paul uses those words? Because until Jesus comes, that is the life of the church. You are going to have hard times. You are going to suffer tribulation. You may even suffer persecution and economic hardship and spiritual oppression and physical oppression. Those things will come upon each and every one of us. They will draw near to each and every one of us seeking to separate us from our obedience and seeking to convince us that God has abandoned us. But what does he say at the end? None of those things are able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Rather than worrying what you have done to anger God when the darkness comes, run to Him into His loving arms and cry to Him for salvation and rescue. Rather than being consumed with the hardship of life, give the tears that you are afraid to show to God directly to Him. Whatever your coping mechanism is, first call on God to free you from the hardship so that you can more effectively obey Him. As Jacob wrestled with God there in the darkness, and he realized who it was that he wrestled with, with he clung to God and refused to let go. God even injured him in the hip to maybe get him to let go. And God said, let me go. And Jacob says, I will not let you go until you bless me. That is the prayer of the psalmist. The God who is near is to be grasped upon. He is to be prayed to, and he is to be wrestled with in prayer until he blesses us. God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. When darkness presses in, cling to that promise with all you have. Let us pray. To the great God who is near, as the darkness of our world presses in, darkness of human and spiritual origin, 
I ask that the light of your glorious presence would shine into each of our lives. Show us that you are always near and that your covenant love is ours forever in Christ Jesus. It is in his name that we pray. Amen. Please take your hymn books. Matthew records this blessing for us as Jesus was getting ready to be taken into heaven from his disciples. He says, Surely I am with you always, even until the end of the age. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this sermon from Fairly Associate Reform Presbyterian Church. To find out more about our church and its ministries, please find us on Facebook or visit us at www.arpchurchfairly.org. That's www.arpchurchfairly.org. Have a blessed day.